History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, number 57, Fear in Burkina Faso, a long, long time ago. So if you haven't heard that, go back and check it out or else you will find spoilers ahead. Well, that's a step backward for humanity, in my opinion. Hello, my name is Pete Goddard and I am here in the HHE studio with the fat controller to my Thomas, Mr. Ryan Weir. Thank you very much, Mr. Peter Goddard. And of course, we are joined as ever by the deeply dippy dude, Mr. Paul Dursley. Uh, lamb kebabi. <laughs> lamb kebabi, didn't you say? <laughs> well, that's what they said, isn't it? I, I, that's what I heard, lamb kebabi. You are, of course, talking about the traditional greasing by the Burkinabi, which, of course, is yam kabire. Oh, well, lamb kebab is not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good job that you didn't go with a rakire joke. You know, the rude jokes. Oh. I think we could interpret this entire episode as rakire humour on Paul's part. Nevertheless, we're sort of pushing ahead here into topics from the podcast. So let's firstly mm-hmm. try and remember what we talked about. Now, I've completely forgotten because it was so long ago. Understandable. Uh, and I'm old. So, Ryan, if you could, in about 60 seconds, encapsulate what we referred to i'd appreciate that when do you want me to do it now on this episode of hhe we took a trip to burkina faso in west africa to find the things that inspired fear a long long time ago we learned that the mose people like to shake hands with each other sometimes for up to half an hour and we discovered that they're not afraid of crocodiles there's a group of fearless fishermen who brave hippo infested waters to catch their food we learned about the terrifying larvae of a parasitic worm which infects those who live near running water and turns them blind we dove into the defara hole to get to grips with the mysterious flesh-eating creature which lives there we prayed to God and feared our ancestors. We met the supernatural blacksmiths who were kept at arm's length by their neighbours. And finally, we looked at the half-billion-year-old meteorite which spooked the Burkinabi when it thundered into the ground there. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's going to tell you what he thought of the Ah, uh, yes, it all comes flooding back to me, and tremendous amount of material there was there too. But what I thought about it, of course, is meaningless. So, Paul, any first impressions you'd like to share with us? I did fall asleep. Right. <laughs> That's not the first impression I was hoping for. But I listened to some of it twice. Oh, well, that's good. I felt it my duty to rewind until I'd heard a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nice that out of a sense of plodding duty, you listened to the podcast. That's encouraging. At least you listened to it. That's the main thing. Well, at least you'll have us listening figures of one. If you could just listen to it over and over again, that would provide (laughs) us with our greatest viewing figures. Um, But as an area of the world, Paul, was, was it all old news to you or did you discover something? Um, it was all pretty new to me. I have to say, I got it into my head. It was an ex-German colony, not an ex-French colony. I suppose it's the name Volta. Uh, sort of, sort of, although 
It's Italian, I suppose, isn't it? I suppose so. I have to admit, I did expect you, Paul, to be sitting there saying, I have no idea where they're talking about until Ryan called it up a Volta and then you go, ah, up a Volta, <laughs> yes, I know exactly where we are. We've covered a lot of West Africa in some of the other episodes that we've done. Yes. And I must admit, when I found out it was in West Africa, there was some nervousness, I'll be honest, because I thought, oh no, we're going we're gonna to be covering sort of old ground. Yeah, well, I, I suppose the, the, the difference is it doesn't have a coastline, it's landlocked. So exactly. It, it's quite away from the sea and the you know the other countries there Niger and Chad which are landlocked but they're mainly in the desert whereas Burkina Faso is is sort of as you said the savanna and uh, sort of subtropical i mean one of the things that we didn't talk about very much was the fact that the mose were highly feared in the area they were a warrior race and they had a huge empire people were very spooked by them in fact there was a whole section that i was thinking of writing about the fear that they inspired in others but i found some other more fun things to talk about instead i kind of got the impression that the mose were kind of the almost like the mongols of that part of the world they're rampaging around on their on horses, horses yeah scaring everyone <laughs> very very similar in fact so where, where did the horses come from arabia i guess because uh wouldn't have thought there were horses endemic to there. Actually, that's a very good question. I don't know where the horses came from. I can only imagine that they were doing trading across Africa at that point anyway. So horses, I imagine, would be part of that. Different story if they've been rampaging camels. on camels. Yeah. <laughs> Which you'd think of as a more likely beast of burden around there. Yeah. I would like to see them rampaging around on those crocodiles that they seem to be so friendly with. That would be something to strike fear into, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or hip hippos as well. Anyway, talking of crocodiles and reptilians, we received a comment this week, Peter, from a listener. And they asked why there is an image of a dinosaur on the artwork we used for this week's episode. Excellent question, observant listener. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for pointing that one out. Because, <laughs> of course, we don't talk about dinosaurs at all in the episode <laughs> and they did in fact ask for their money back so pete if you could sort them out with uh, we'll supply a full <laughs> refund not to worry <laughs> so uh, yeah i guess firstly apologies to everyone who was expecting dinosaurs in this episode but uh, you know, by way of some explanation i thought maybe we could cover dinosaurs so i set out and did some research on that and it turns out that Burkina faso is relatively unexplored, uh, you know, with regards to fossils. In fact, there's almost none. No, wasn't in relatively recent history, sort of a few million years ago, wasn't that part of the central Sahara a shallow sea? It, exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. Or oh, there were big lagoons. It was certainly a much more lush area. So you would expect there to be dinosaurs there. It's just we haven't found them yet. No one's really been looking. But that's not the same in the countries which surround Burkina Faso. And one of these fossils was discovered in 2000 by a guy called Paul Serino. He's a National Geographic explorer. That's his job title, explorer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. National Geographic explorer, yeah. And he found the remains of a 110 million year old freshwater crocodile. And it was so enormous that he nicknamed it Super Croc. Uh, and it was a croc that was longer than a bus, 40 feet in length, with a skull six feet long. That's as tall as me. Just the skull? Just the skull. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. It would have weighed eight tons, and it had a bite force exceeding several tons per square inch. Oh, that reminds me. <laughs> You're going to get your dentures fitted. No, you said that there was a crocodile yes. that weighed 2,400 kilos, about four tons. How can 2,400 kilos be four tons? Well, that's very simple, Paul. The truth is, I don't know maths. <laughs> <laughs> 
or weights or scales of anything. But a ton is a thousand. So 2,400 is 2.4 tons. All right. I may have got that wrong. Well, anyway, look, this thing had a huge bite on it, as you would imagine from something with a six foot mouth. But to answer the question, I wanted dinosaurs. I couldn't find any dinosaurs. And because I like the artwork, I just kept it. So sorry for the confusion. Sorry, everyone. So that's probably just us left now. They got a full refund. So hopefully they're stuck with it. I was quite interested on the subject of things that are hidden below sight, if you will. Okay. By You mentioned that the Volta Rivers, uh, yes. which were what, red, yellow, and black, black, flow into Lake Volta, which is a large reservoir. Yes. And I struggled to comprehend that, because in my head, a reservoir is like a very relatively small man-made pond, essentially. <laughs> but it, I think it was man-made, wasn't it? The Volta was dammed to create Lake Volta. Exactly right. So I had a little, did a little digging just to see what was on, and uh, it was indeed Akasombo Dam. It now generates most of Ghana's electricity. Wow. But what I found was interesting is that all the forests that were immersed in the water, mm -hmm. there's now an emerging industry to actually harvest the hardwoods from under the water wow. in Lake Volta. Because there's no oxygen, so... Yeah, so that's uh, supposed to be a sort of environmentally sustainable way of getting some more hardwoods. Wait, those trees are dead, right? They're not still growing at, but underwater. Oh, I think they're done for, but they are held in stasis, if you will. That's exciting. It's great, isn't it? How'd you go down? Do you have wet lumberjack with a aqua gear on? Well, we did talk about something similar, didn't we, about people reclaiming the logs in Canada when we did the yeah. logging episode. That's right. Some of those would sink to the bottom and then... They were coming around picking the back up. So clearly these these woods are so precious that it's well worth swimming down with an axe. I don't know exactly how they do it, but yeah. the technology must exist. And I just thought it was fascinating. Imagine saying, I'm an underwater lumberjack. And I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> do they wear women's panties? It's not mandatory, but you can if you want. <laughs> So one of the things I also found interesting and did a little more reading on was the Thomas Sankara character who sounded like a terrific fellow. And uh, I hadn't mm. realized quite the extent to which he rebranded the country. He changed the name. He wrote the national anthem. He designed the flag as well. <laughs> I mean, this guy went, oh, I'm just going to rebrand my nation completely. And he seemed to have done it most of it himself from what I can make out. I mean, like with most people, it's, it's your support network as well, right? And I expect that's why his entire cabinet was entirely wiped out in the assassination. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was tragic. But what he did in his time was incredible. So locally, he said he had pharmacies built in over 5,000 of 7,500 villages. Wow. Infant mortality dropped from 208 births per thousand to 145. School attendance increased from 6 to 22%. The guy was doing great things. It's really tragic that he ended the way he did. The other thing I found out was I was looking for what was left of him at, if you like. And a statue to Sankara has been erected on the site of his assassination. Oh, wow. It's this massive statue. It's like five meters tall. So you stand next to it and you're like thigh height. Wow. Massive. I think it's brass. It looks bronze or something similar. So mm -hmm. a pretty hefty statue. But it was, it was unveiled in 2019. And everyone complained that it didn't look like him. He had this kind of very oh, no. sort of bland was features. Was it done by that chap who did Ronaldo in? 
didn't. <laughs> it did kind of a little bit put me in mind of that, to be honest with you. Uh, and in fact, the guy took it down again, had another go, and a year later put up another one that looks a lot more like him than the wow. previous one. Perhaps and this, he was just rushed or something. Well, funny you should say that, because there's the sculptor's guy called Jean-Luc Bambara, mm -hmm. and he basically says, what didn't work out the first time around was the deadline. So yeah, he was rushed. <laughs> he also said there were some weather problems. The, he used the lost wax bronze casting method, and it uses materials that melt in warm weather and it was an unseasonably warm period i guess so some of the facial features got kind of melted down a bit so it didn't look quite as it was intended to so but his second crack of the whip looks absolutely uh sankara-ish i can guarantee you his first effort was way better than what i would have done well yes it was yeah it's easy to criticize isn't it if someone asked me to sculpt a, a five meter tall statue <laughs> what you yes, would get but would not i be good. wouldn't ask you to do that i'd ask a sculptor to do it so fair but he made good he made good in the end doesn't say whether he charged for the remake or not i don't know <laughs> i think it's interesting though isn't it like when you take on corruption in the way that he did you know you talked about some of the things that he did for society there but in terms of his contemporaries telling them to take a lower salary telling them to change their luxury cars to more modest smaller cars you're not making yeah you're getting between friends, people and their you? funds there that's a dangerous hmm. place to be hmm. yeah unfortunately that's the way that it always is especially mm -hmm. in emerging countries but also in you know first world countries as well. Powerful people are powerful because they can control their the interests. Sometimes someone has to take a stand, and I think we owe him at least for his attempts, if nothing else. So. Iron Bibby. Iron Bibby. This, I remember him. Uh, remember Iron Bibby? He was the strong man, right? Yeah, it's it's more the sort of log-lifting world champion. But I found out a little bit more about Iron Bibby. So he eats eight chickens a day when he's training. He's surrounded by them. He just picks one off the ground and munches into it. <laughs> yeah. Bites their head off and eats them. <laughs> he may have the biggest arms in the world. His biceps measure 71 centimetres. That's 28 inches. That is not far off my youthful waistline. <laughs> not my current waistline, let's be honest, but my youthful waistline youthful is not far world. off that. Yeah, well, there you go. He was five kilograms at birth. It's 12 pounds. He's a huge baby. That's big. That is a big baby. And because he was so big, he was bullied at school. He was slightly overweight. He said that he tried to cut down. He was like just eating five chicken. vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nothing seemed to work. One day he'd just had enough with the bullies and he pushed one of these bullies away. But just by pushing the boy, he, really, he didn't realize how strong he was. And apparently the boy went flying across the room. <laughs> and apparently all the bullies stopped immediately after that. Uh, he also wanted to be a gymnast, but he was embarrassed by the sound his body made when it hit the mat. <laughs> so he stopped doing it. Oh, no. <laughs> but his brother helped him practice at home. And now he stands at six foot two and weighs 20 stone. That's 120 kilograms. And he can now do backflips. And he does a backflip after he wins a weightlifting competition. I want to see that. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that cool? It's the stage reinforced. <laughs> I can yeah. only imagine the sound when he hits the mat now is uh, more akin to the glass of water in Jurassic Park, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Very low frequency sound. <laughs> <laughs> So do you want to hear about mosquitoes? 
I do. I had a whole section on that. I had a choice between Blackfly, if you remember. Which with were the, gross. I remember them very distinctly, and I still feel a bit gross thinking about them now. The things crawling around in your wow. body. Yeah, pretty awful, making you blind. So I had a choice of talking about that or talking about mosquitoes, because I thought we only really have room for one fly-orientated story. <laughs> well, everybody knows about mosquitoes, so I'll, I'll give you that one. Thank you very much, Paul. So some scientists believe that mosquitoes evolved around 226 million years ago, and for most of their existence, they have fed on animals. They really only started to target humans around 10,000 years ago. And that was because humans then started to base themselves in larger societies and around rivers and lakes, which is where mosquitoes breed. So mosquitoes started to bite humans, and that biting can cause them to contract malaria. And it's estimated that mosquitoes are said to be to blame for killing nearly half the entire world's cumulative population, approximately 52 billion people. Today, there are more than 100 trillion mosquitoes and more than 200,000 people die just in West Africa every year from malaria. And many of those are from Burkina Faso. The reason why many of them are Burkina Faso, if you remember, I said that Burkina Faso is the hottest country in the world on average. Well, because it's so hot, the villagers can't sleep indoors. It's just too hot. So they have to sleep outdoors. And so they're sleeping outdoors and they're just getting bitten to pieces by the mosquitoes. So there is a program founded by the Gates Foundation, uh, Facebook, and indirectly the Pentagon. And it started in Burkina Faso and it's going to aim to tackle the malaria crisis. Now, it's only the female mosquito that can pass malaria to a human. So the plan is to release genetically modified mosquitoes, which will only be able to produce male offspring. The idea being not to eradicate the mosquito entirely, but cause the population of the females to decline. Well, it will if they're only just males, won't it? Well, yeah, eventually, but I think they're not... After a couple of generations, if there are no females, they'll just die out. Well, I think when you're talking about 100 trillion mosquitoes out there, I don't think that's likely to happen, given that it's sort of targeted approach. So uh, there has been some criticism, as, as you're rightly saying. There are a lot of animals that depend on mosquitoes as their food source. But despite that, on the 1st of July 2019, the first batch of 6,000 GM mosquitoes were released in the village of Bana in Burkina Faso. And it was the first release of a genetically modified animal in Africa. And now researchers are monitoring it. Apparently, they're still studying the results of these things they put little dots on each of the gm mosquitoes and they go out with a net and try and capture them at night <laughs> to see how many there are left so um, what's, how long does a mosquito live how many generations have there been in three years oh, i don't know but you would imagine a fair few Ooh. yeah so i guess we'll find out the results soon and we will let you know when we find out well i can tell you of that population of how many trillion mosquitoes mm-hmm. uh, i was recently on a trip and that most of them were in my room <laughs> <laughs> a trillion. A tr- easily a trillion. Uh, certainly <laughs> given going by the number of bites I had it by the morning. Uh, I did not stop to see how many of them had dots on them, though, unfortunately. So I could have helped out if I'd have known before I had. Could have fed back the, your research. <laughs> exactly. Do you have one on your face? I do, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> Yeah, right here. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. another one lower down as well. Oh, is that the one you could see or that right one? Right on your face. Oh, no, I was seeing that, that one there. Or that one. Or that one there. Oh, my God, you really have been bitten. <laughs> <laughs> so I am all for the efforts of the Pentagon. I'm not normally for the military-industrial complex, but on this matter, I'm fully behind them. So, meteors. 
We talked about meteors. Do you remember? A meteor, really, wasn't it? Just one little one that... Was it not a meteorite? It is a meteorite, yes. What's the difference between a meteor and a meteor? Yes, it's a meteorite when it hits the ground. Oh, I see. When it's in the air, it's a meteor. Oh, okay. Because most meteors never hit the ground because they just break up. Apparently, uh, only 5% of the meteor actually makes contact with the Earth. The rest of it is all just blown up in space. I suppose it's a function of how big the rock is at the start. The bigger the rock, the less the less is ablated off, so the more would hit. Yeah, all, all the times we've talked, we have come across meteors a few times in the past, mostly during global extinction events. So I guess I'd been primed to think of any meteor strike as being this massive, huge event that leaves yeah. global and certainly large, impactful craters. But you said... The hole was relatively small from what I... It was. It was a relatively small meteorite. Com- it was a foot across and 18 inches deep, you said. That's right. Yeah. But even that in my head, I would have thought was going so fast you'd end up with some... I mean, you'd get a good bang out of it, but I just thought you'd get a good crater out of it too. But I was surprised that smaller meteors could have that sort of relatively small impact. I also was too. Uh, well, look, I, you know, you were talking about earth-ending meteorites. Well, meteorophobia is the fear of meteors. But sufferers of meteorophobia, they keep an eye on the sky. They tend to stay inside buildings a lot. But that's not going to help if it hits. More severe sufferers want to go deep underground. <laughs> They're wow. always looking to find an underground base or a place where they can get to. And you have to imagine spending all that time looking up, you're probably massively increasing your chances of getting hit by a bus. Well, yeah, but not a meteorite. Chances are incredibly low being hit by one. In fact, it's estimated the chance of being hit by a meteor is one in 840 million. I like those odds. That didn't help one person, though. There's only one person who has been hit by a meteorite. Anne Hodges, who lived in Alabama. And on November 30th, 1954, she was sleeping on her couch, just having a nap, when a nine-pound meteorite flew through her ceiling, bounced off a radio and hit her thigh. And she became famous for it. It got featured on Time magazine. However, she was sued by her landlady, who claimed that she rightfully owned the rock because it fell on her property. meanwhile the guy next door the neighbor he found a small chunk of the meteorite in his garden and he sold it and he bought a house and he bought a car with it wow so it changed his life it's not always bad news it's it's all about how close to the meteor you can get isn't it (laughs) wasn't there one in gloucestershire last year where it landed on someone's driveway and they sort of dug the driveway up and sold it yeah as you would do very much my retirement plan i'm just going to wait for that meteorite to hit and then bingo i'm rich you can look (laughs) Look to the skies. You have more chance of winning the lottery, you know. I don't. (laughs) So let's talk about the uh, hole, the Defara hole. Yes, oh, yes, the one with the eel in it that I've decided is an eel. Yeah, what do you think it was, Paul? Well, I I think uh, Pete's idea of subterranean passageways is there's possibly a chance that there's that. Knew it. You know, it's it's one of those things. How is it likely to happen? Well, you know, is it the Ryan solution of them come being aliens, or is it the <laughs> Pete solution of there possibly being a channel from a river, one of the largest rivers in Africa, that's only sixty miles away? But then wouldn't you see them in the river? Well, the little ones could get in, but the big ones couldn't get out, could they? Yes, it's a little hole. So you think they get in there and then they're fed by the villagers. So what I am slightly surprised by... they can't get back out. So we have the legend of Loch Ness, as you know, and 
that there has been exhaustive attempts to find out what it is. And I think it's a myth, not a legend. Um, well, in any event, plenty of people have sort of echoed location mm. and whatnot, trying to find what's there. It sounds like this thing isn't that big. This, or certainly the entrance to it isn't that big. Has it? Has anyone tried to find out what it is? I think people don't want to upset the locals, and I think if they start investigating it too much, I think there's a you know you're going to upset the locals. Okay, yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah, you don't want to be. Maybe you could send a drone down there or something. But it's milky water. You're not going to see anything. So you, sorry, but you want to take superstition over science? We just don't want to annoy people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair. <laughs> Talking of Loch Ness Monster, though, I read recently that uh, they think the Loch Ness Monster is actually a llama. That's unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, the Dalai? <laughs> yeah, he was down there having a swim. No, they reckon it's a llama's head. How do they come to that conclusion? <laughs> when llamas are swimming, it's their neck sticking out and it looks like Nessie's head. But there are lots <laughs> of things that, like the, head, the top of an umbrella looks like that. Yeah, sort but of. like if you, you know that the famous black and white picture of what well, the one that was faked. Well, apparently not. Apparently it was a llama. Or, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's the latest theory on what the Loch Ness Monster is. I'd rather go back to aliens. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a period where people were like breeding llamas around Loch Ness. So they reckon it was a llama. Went for a swim and someone took a photo and went, what the heck is that? <laughs> As you would do if you saw you something would, yeah, like a llama. Enough. All right, I'll buy that. Well, yes, uh, one llama has caused such a stir. I don't think this is a llama in the Defara hole. No. That really would be odd, though, wouldn't it? Why haven't they made a movie of the Defara hole, right? Bunch of students going to study in Burkina Faso. They go for a swim in the Milky Hole. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, discover an underground network of sunken caves. Right. Start to go down, disappear one by one. One by one. Yeah. We will call it oh. The Creature from the Far Hole. Now, usual 10% applies <laughs> if anyone makes this film. Or we'll just be in it. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know what, though? I kind of glad that no one knows what it is. I think the world is better to have some mystery in it. Don't you? No. So we've chatted amongst ourselves, explored some new things, but that's not what we're here for. Nope. We're here to judge you, Ryan Weir. That's all I want. So we've come to the end of the line. It's time to step into the dock, Ryan, and prepare to face the judge. I'm fully prepared. I'm, I'm actually excited for this. I think I did well on this one. Did you? Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Uh, yes, I am. And you will get a better score if you lay on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> will the defendant please grovel i suppose your honor can we start as usual by asking for your verdict on factual content well it was a bit all over the place and i was expecting dinosaurs as well we were all expecting dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> so i i think i think i'll give you a c plus right so the second traditional judgment is on entertainment factor I think two of your skits were amusing. Huh. One wasn't. I think I'll give you a... C plus again. C plus, interesting. And the ever unexpected, who knows what this will be, Dursley Factor. I'm afraid I'm going to have to score this low. What? Because I fell asleep. <laughs> that is a bad sign. <laughs> Not a great sign. <laughs> That's the Dursley Factor in, its, in a nutshell, that is. <laughs> Yes, I'm afraid I could only give 
a C minus for that. Okay, it's a shame. Well, I would move to the final verdict, but I, I don't want to be the boy who cried points. Don't you dare. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Don't you dare. Huh? There's supposed to be a point deduction. That's all I'm saying. Why is there a point deduction, Pete? Well, because last week, yeah. the recording snafu, yeah. we lost a little bit of rec- recording time. 25 minutes, yeah. And we did decide that he would lose a point. So, I mean, far be it for me to tell tales, but yeah. I'm telling that tale right now. <laughs> oh, that is really quite naughty, isn't it? <laughs> uh, however, I th- however, I always did like snitch. Snitches <laughs> <laughs> get presents. <laughs> so before we move on, Ryan, you do have an opportunity to make your point back by uh, having entering a plea. Yeah, please, please, <laughs> please be nice. Is that your plea? That was all. That was just that was literally a plea. Normally, I was hoping for a case to the for the defence, but still. Fine, I am. I am ready to judge. Okay, the defendant now stands before you. You have reached a verdict, and now I ask respectfully for your ruling. I have to take extenuating circumstances into account and given the scores from earlier I'm afraid I can only score you a C minus what Ooh. oh that lost point really hurt didn't it Mike? C minus <laughs> <laughs> right you can find another co-host <laughs> that's it I've had enough C minus well, I think that's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, there we have it. C minus a... Travesty of justice according to one side of the table. Perfectly fair result according to the other. <laughs> so that is our show for this week. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can say hello. You can talk about the things we've talked about on the show or reach out to us on social media or through the website hhepodcast.com or email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, that's right. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might have not featured on a future show. Uh, you can definitely feature on a future episode if you rate and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation really pushes us out to new listeners and we really appreciate that. We sure do. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to one of those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our one minute animated HHE Bites. Which are awesome. And of course, we'll be back again soon with our next episode. Episode 58, Woodwork in Ethiopia between 1450 and 1750, which is the early modern age. I've been working diligently on that and i'll have some excellent show stuff for you excellent well, Ethi- ethiopia is one country i'd love to go to that's dursley factor sewn up already <laughs> so in the meantime a huge thank you to the judge himself thank you paul thank you very much I, in, in, an enjoyable half an hour and that is it i guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to have you ever slept under a mosquito net no, I have. You still have to keep away from the edges of it, though, because if the, you know if you put your skin up against it, and the little oh. bastards will get the other side and go through it. So you, you have to sort of yeah make sure that it's sort of like diaphanous over you. 
Yeah, I spent quite a lot of the night frantically rearranging my nest to ensure I didn't get bitten, uh, which contributed to not a great night's sleep either, to be honest with you. (laughs) I'm fairly sure by the end of it, I still had bites all over. They seek me out, it has to be said. By the end of it, I've got all these bumps and it says, eat here in Braille for the other mosquitoes. (laughs) One of the best things is one of those venom extractors. It's, it's one of those things, once you start doing it, you can't stop fiddling and just sort of putting it on your body and sort of pulling it and you get sort of weird shapes in your skin. I'm going to buy a venom extractor. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Or just ask someone to do it. I'll do it for you. Give me your arm. I'll suck it out. It's a bit late now, isn't it? I can <laughs> I only can, imagine. I can give it a try. The moment has passed. <laughs> give me your face and let me suck it. <laughs> suck my well, face, you Ryan. There's that long strands of stuff that will go into your body then. Bring it on. I'd do it for you, Pete. You're a hero. <laughs> I'm really annoyed. (laughs) Well, make an episode I don't fall asleep in.